Two weeks ago, the church canonized John Henry Newman. And I want to speak a little bit about him, and then I will tell you why. Newman was born in 1801 in England. He was raised in a Christian evangelical family, not especially devout, but Christian. They would go to church on Sundays. They would pray maybe for meals. He went through a stage of skepticism, almost lost his faith in God. But when he was 15, he had a deep conversion, a spiritual experience. After that, when he finished high school, he went to Oxford, where he studied to be an Anglican priest. He was ordained in the Church of England, became a famous professor and lecturer and writer. He led a movement to reconnect the Anglican Church to its Catholic roots. And when he was 45, he converted to Catholicism after many years of praying and reading. He went to Rome, after two years was ordained a Catholic priest, went back to England as an oratorian. He founded two oratories in England, um, worked for another 44 years as a Catholic priest, became a cardinal, was appointed a cardinal, and died at 89 years of age. He was maybe one of the most influential theologians of the 19th century, and his thought is influential even today, very much so. But I want to speak about him because, well, first because he was canonized two weeks ago, but for us in the St. John Society, it's very, very important. It's a very important model and, and figure. And for some reasons I want to share with you. First one is because he is what we call our intellectual father. That's how we call him. I personally came across his writings when I was doing my master's in philosophy. In those days, I came across this book that he wrote uh, about, the, this book is called The Grammar of Ascent, and it's kind of like an, 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 a book about the anatomy of our act of faith, so to say. In that book, he describes precisely how, is, how it is that, we, that our, our faith, or our act of faith, is profoundly reasonable, even if it's not the same type of reasonableness as a hardcore science. This book had a profound impact in my personal faith journey, and also in the journey of our being born society in that moment. Now, we all read it. Father Lucas read it. I, I read it. We shared with other uh, you know, college friends, and we talked about it. We, we discussed about it. Because there he unpacks many reasons for us to believe. He explains how is it that we can grow in our awareness of this reasonableness of our faith, of Christianity. And how is it that we go from reasonable to faith? How is it that we can take that leap of faith and come to believe? And how is it that the grace of God interacts with our freedom? It's a beautiful book. He was a great apologist. In a, in a time when many thought that science and technology would confine religion to irrelevance, basically. Hmm? So we found a deep communion with many of his theological ideas and philosophical ideas. Uh, it is something like finding a friend that is above and beyond you, but somehow can express, of course, in a, much better than you would, the ideas that you previously, that you previously had. 
So we read Newman and we were, we were in awe that he was saying all these things that we already somehow thought, but he would be so precise and so profound and so scholarly to express them. So we, you know, we foster his readings, his books, and we read him as part of our formation and also as part of our ongoing formation. Plus, he's very enjoyable to read. Many have said that, you know, I'm not the one to judge, but I heard many saying that he's one of the best writers in, in English, in prose, at least in the 19th century, for, for sure. It's beautiful to read. So he's our intellectual father. We appointed him, we gave him that title for our community. And another reason is that, you know, I, through, through him, we came to come to the United States because when we were students, Father Lucas and myself uh, went to Oxford for a, for a congress about him. We were doing our license in Newman, and so we attended in, to this congress in, in a summer. And there we met a priest from Portland, Oregon, that he was also studying Newman. And he invited us to mission to his diocese. To his. So little we know in those days about Portland or Oregon, uh, but he invited us and we went. So we started working with college students and with Hispanics, and we would do that for our summer. And after some years of doing that, the Archbishop of Portland invited us to, you know, to, to come to the U.S. By basically and start our work here. So in 2005, we arrived to the U.S. Father Lucas was the first priest with some seminarians, and we began working at the Newman Center. Can you believe that? In, in, in Oregon State University. So there's a lot of personal connections with him in the first place. But also his ideas are very relevant, and I think are relevant for us and also relevant for you, for the whole church. I want to share three with you. The first one is his fidelity to the truth. He was a man always searching for the truth and for the fullness of truth. He was raised evangelical, so because of that, he, at the beginning, he valued a lot emotions in, 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 in his Christian life. But at some point, especially when he had this conversion, he began to develop this need of an objective truth, not to put aside emotions, but he realized that emotions couldn't be the only criteria in our faith journey, that there needs to be something more than emotions, because as we know, emotions come and go, are very fluctuant. Hmm? So there he came to the conclusion that we need a definite creed. In his book, Apologia Provita Sua, it's kind of like, a, like an autobiographical book, he says, I'm quote, when I was 15, a great change of thought took place in me. I fell under the influences of a definite creed and received into my intellect impressions of dogma, which through God's mercy have never been effaced or obscured. I realize it, our faith has to be about something concrete. Could not be focused on what we feel, but we need something beyond ourselves. When he was already old, 10 years before he died, he was appointed cardinal and he went to Rome and he pronounced this 
famous speech in front of the Pope, Leo XIII. And there he said, it's a longer quote, but pay attention. He says, for 30, 40, 50 years, I have resisted to the best of my powers the spear of liberalism in religion. Liberalism in religion is the doctrine that there is no positive truth in religion, but that one creed is as good as another. It is inconsistent with any recognition of any religion as true. It teaches that all are matter of opinion. Revealed religion is not a truth, but a sentiment and a taste, not an objective fact, not miraculous. And it is the right of each individual to make it say just what strikes his fancy. Men may go to Protestant churches and to Catholic, may get good from both and belong to neither. If a man puts on a new religion every morning, what is that to you? This sense that there's got to be something that is truth. We don't, we're not Christians because we feel like it or because we enjoy it or because we like the mass or we like the music or we like the people that go there or because I feel better. Those are great things. But we are Christians because we believe that it's truth. Right? We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, made flesh, died on the cross, resurrected, and is alive. And we believe that that is truth. Otherwise, we wouldn't be Christians. He deeply believed in this notion of revelation. God has spoken. He showed his face to us. He bridged the distance between himself and us by the incarnation. He inspired the scriptures. He founded the church. And he wanted to show himself. He revealed himself. And we, we receive that as a gift, and we believe it. Or we don't, but it has to be about something specific. We cannot come with a religion of our own. Otherwise, it's not a religion. It could be like a wisdom, a human wisdom, but not a religion. Newman himself was an example of this spiritual search. He was always searching for the fullness of the truth, and he didn't fear any questions. I love the the hymn that we sang at the beginning, but at some, in some line it says, faith believes but questions not, or something along those lines. I don't think Newman would have been happy with that line. He thought that, that faith questions and, and grows and seeks to understand always more, even though accepting, accepting the, the mystery. You know? So this quest, this search, led him to become Catholic when he was 44. And this was very tough because he realized that the Church of Rome, as he called it, was the Church of Antiquity, the Church founded by Christ, through his readings of the Fathers of the Church. He didn't have any contact with any Catholic whatsoever. It was all a personal journey by his own readings and reasoning and prayer. And when he converted, that meant for him having to leave Oxford. Because at that time, Oxford was an Anglican university, so he couldn't teach anymore. He had to you know, leave his friends, his position, his prestige, his money, 
and, 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 and had to begin an unknown future. And even worse, he was considered like a traitor in the Anglican England of the 19th century. But he was being faithful to, so he didn't want to convert really. It was bad news for him at the moment, but he realized this is the truth, I have to, I have to follow it. Before dying, he requested to have this inscription written in his tomb, ex umbris et imaginibus in veritatem, which translates out of shadows and images into the truth. And before dying, he said, I never sinned against the light. I never sinned against the light. Once I saw something as truth, I embraced it, no matter what. So this fidelity to the truth, I think, speaks a lot to the church today and to us. Second, I would highlight his personalism. He had a keen sensitivity for the importance of each person. And we can see this especially in his notion of personal influence. He wrote a lot about personal influence. He would claim that truth is transmitted most especially person to person as he would say, heart to heart. His motto as a cardinal was cor ad cor loquitur, heart speaks to heart. A strong believer will slowly influence many. He wrote, quote, truth has been upheld in the world, not as a system, not by books, not by argument, not by temporal power, but by the personal influence of such men who are at once the teachers and the patterns of it. We shall find it difficult to estimate the moral power which a single individual trained to practice what he teaches may acquire in his own circle in the course of years. The attraction exerted by unconscious holiness is of an urgent and irresistible nature. It persuades the weak, the timid, the wavering, and the inquiring. A few highly endowed men will rescue the world for centuries to come. We need a few filled with the love for Christ, and, and the, they will rescue the world to come. Of course, he was thinking about Jesus Christ in the first place. Jesus Christ didn't have any temporal power, any money. He didn't write any book. He didn't have any institutions. He didn't found a university or a school. He lived in, in, in the corner of the Roman Empire. He formed only to help. And we're still gathering his name. But he not only wrote about the personal influence, which I think is very good news because that is in our possibilities. We all can have some personal influence around us. Good influence, Christian influence. There where we are. Something is something doable, something that we can do. And he, he exemplified this very well. He wrote more than 20,000 letters. Volumes of his letters are published. And, you know, to every sort of person, people, had a great love for each person. He had many disciples. He interacted with them. He would go from place to place speaking with people. Finally, because I have to finish, 
uh, he was a great educator. And Newman believed that, that a classical and a liberal education was, was best fit to form a strong lay person. He really believed that the church needed to work on forming lay people and educating lay people as, and helping lay people to be that salt and light that they are called to be. And those ideas in those days were not as, you know, as, 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 common, as common sense as, as, they, as they sound for us, but he was very influential in pushing those ideas forward. He, at some point in his life, he was called by the Irish bishops to found the Catholic University in Ireland. And there he wrote this amazing book also, The Idea of University, where he sets the foundations of what what a Catholic education should look like. And you know, that book is still read today. When he converted and, and became a Catholic priest, he, had, he went from this high-class, beautiful Oxford um, environment to work with the low-class Irish immigrants and, 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 and you know, workers. And he, so the rest of his life, he was among them in Birmingham visiting their houses and visiting the sick people and, and helping them in their struggles and forming their kids and founding a school for, you know, for, 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 their, for those families and so on. Newman was a philosopher, a great theologian, a preacher, a teacher, a leader of a whole movement, the movement of Oxford, a founder of the Oratory in England, Catholic University in Ireland, of two boys' schools. And he wrote many books. He wrote two novels, thousands of letters, a book on the development of doctrine that is very important, an essay on justification in his dialogue with the Lutherans, a book about university education, probably the best collection of sermons that we have in English. He wrote about conscience, and the list goes on and on. He lived a long life and had many achievements. His achievements are amazing. But I think the most important one is that he became a saint. And that was proclaimed by the church two weeks ago. He was transformed by his love for Christ and he um, became a saint, basically. Which is our, our common call, our common vocation to to become living saints, to be disciples of Christ, and to spread that smell around us. Okay, so this is just to present Newman. Um, if you want to know anything about him or, or go deeper about his life and his books, I would recommend um, to read his sermons, his parochial and plain sermons. Those are the sermons that he preached in Oxford to the students at St. Mary's in Oxford, and he republished them as, as Catholic, so they're, they're, you know, they're safe to read, they're very good, and very, they're very good spiritual reading, and you can read one of them in 20 minutes. It takes me 20 minutes, I'm sure it will take less to you, hmm? to, to read them and understand them. They're beautiful. Um, you can also read a book called Meditations and Devotions. Those are prayers that he composed and short meditations. And, and if you don't like to read, you can watch YouTube. And uh, Robert Barron, for example, has a 40-minute 
video about Newman, his life, his heritage. And I think now he's producing like a series uh, on him because he also thinks that he's a very important saint to, to, to be somehow upheld today in, in the church, most especially for the English speaking world. So St. John Henry Newman, pray for us.